so much again for joining us on Growing Up on Death Row at 17. I'm here with my co-host, the man with the plan, Brian Seddens. Brian, what's the topic tonight? So we can talk to these folks and educate, hopefully, some youngsters and keep them out of trouble. Well, basically, the topic for tonight is the same thing that I always talked about, keeping people out of prison, making mm-hmm. parents aware of their kids' activity, making them feel more or get more to their parent, get it more into your kid's life, you know what I'm saying, to give them that right directive. I went and done a speech for the NDIA, which is the National Defended Investigation Agency, basically lawyers and investigators and things of this nature, and they wanted to know how they could secure a good relationship with a offender who they represent in court. They wanted to know what can they do to better the relationship between attorney and client. And I think it was that consistency, just being consistent, keeping them updated on things. Ask them, do you need me to do anything? Ask them what you're looking for. Just staying consistent and keeping the man updated on everything actually will give you a better relationship with another offender or convict, however they want to put it. But my speech that I gave was, it was real heartbreaking at one time when I talk about my grandmother. Those one things I know in my life, man, that I never got over. Even if I did 31 years, that's something that still triggers and really hunts me for real. And that's why I isolate myself a lot. I don't deal with a lot of people because I brought that situation on myself at 16 years old when my grandmother told me not to leave the house and I did it anyway. But what hunts me is the fact that when I was in prison, my 21st year, my grandmother wrote the governor and asking them, she was like, I'm 80-something years old. I didn't live my life. Can you let my grandson out? And I'll go in there. And ever since she said, ever since she said that and I read that in that letter, every day is a struggle for me when it, go, when it comes to her. Because no matter how many years you did in prison or how tough motherfucker think they is, man, it's always one motherfucker that'll break them down. And that was my grandmother. You know what I'm saying? So only thing I can do is in remembrance of her, in the podcast, I just try to give everybody an understanding and try to pre- present the challenges that they're going through in a different way, man, to where a kid can understand it, where they won't have to go, go through these sorrows and pain. They won't have to feel this letdown. And uh, because it's your letdown and you're going to have to live with it regardless how it go. I was going to say one of the things, <clears throat> excuse me, that you talked about consistency in terms of coming to see whoever they represent or who they're trying to help. And one of the other things that I picked up on was uh, transparency. Be honest, be open. Don't mislead your client. Tell them the truth. Tell them the hurdles that they face in terms of getting their freedom or tell them what you need from them so that you can help them help you get out. Does that make sense what I'm saying? I think that was one of the biggest things that I picked up on too. Just don't show up just to show up. The other thing, too, that I heard from some of the participants, their caseloads are unreal. And it's just Mm -hmm. hard for them to really focus on helping one person when they got 100 on their plate. You know what I'm saying? It's almost unfair to both sides. I want to come in and help you, but I got these other 99 people, too, that are calling for me, asking for me to look into this, look into that. It's almost as, as... there's too many people for the number of folks that they have to help them out and help them regain their innocence. 
Right, right. And uh, David, you hit a point there when you said that because they wasn't trying to justify what they doing. They were trying to make sure that they doing the right thing and they want to take advice from people that been in prison like me and Norman. Mm. You know, I think they actually learned a lot about prison, the prison mentality. But my focus was on the psychological effect and the mental effect that prison did to me. And I feel as though when I testify about that in front of the Senate and I testify down here in front of the NDIA, I let them know, man, I didn't escape that prison with a clean slate. I escaped with mental issues. The child psychology they was using on motherfuckers in prison. Locking the door, putting shit in front of the door, spray painting the back window where you can't see in or sit out. And those are forms of torture. You know what I'm saying? I can't relive it because I can't escape it. It's almost like it never went nowhere because I have a phobia of so many things that can actually put me back in that position. And at the age I am now, I don't think I can handle it. I'm 50 years old and I'm starting to see things the way I'm supposed to see it. I give too many people a lot of love. I extend my hand to them. I go above and beyond for everybody. And the thing of it is, I feel certain people take that respect of what I have by going above and beyond for them. They take it as usury. They take it as I'm tricking you. They take my which my principles is built up on respect and loyalty. It's not built up on money. It's not built up on pussy. To me, pussy for weak niggas. Ain't none of that is built up on anything. I like the loyalty. I like the respect. I like to show that you love me the way I love you. And that's the way I live my life. And if a person can't understand that, well, that's their choice. Right. I think, too, one of the things that was very telling about your speech was the fact that you didn't run away from what happened. You own your mistake. Again, going back to your grandmother, you said you knew you shouldn't have gotten in the car that night for the folks who don't know the story. She told you don't get in the car and go on the joy ride that ended up putting you in jail for 31 years. And basically, you never being able to see her again. And uh, like you said, I, that haunts you every day. And uh, I, I think that was very powerful. I think a lot of folks really felt the impact of what you were saying that like you said that it wasn't a walk in the park it wasn't like what you see in the movie and on tvs prison is real and we get reports of people dying every day of these overdoses i can't imagine i wake up and i don't know if it's day or night because they got the windows blacked out i can't see in or out i don't even i don't even have a sense of being i'm just there yeah but see the thing of it is what i'm trying to get everybody to understand is that your situations in life, man, I think people should take advantage of life. And what I mean by that is not advantage of people, advantage of life. Explore explore the neighborhoods, explore cities, go out of town. Make your own life the beautiful way you want to be it. Because we can invite negative energy into our life and go a negative right. We can invite positive energy and go the positive way. I feel that though a lot of kids in the inner city right now don't know which way to go. They stuck between a rock and a hard place because if I'm telling you my story, but then after my story been heard two days later, you back over there selling dope and blah, blah, blah. You telling me that you found something that you think was more better than what I'm telling you. And to understand it is for me to realize that I'm just a little piece of the puzzle that goes on out here in the Italy. And I feel I'm going to give everybody the truth, no matter what. 
I don't care who the fuck it is. If I feel as though I was wrong, I was wrong, man. Like I tell everybody, David, on every podcast, my mama didn't do this to me. My grandmama didn't do this to me. I was 16 years old. She told me not to go. I said, hell, what you talking about? And went anyway. Did 31 years. Lost my grandmother. Lost the morals and respect I took from her that she had for me. You know what I'm saying? The love that she gave me. And I feel... Until my time is up on this earth, man, I feel every child in every nation, color, Mexican, black, it don't make a difference what color you are. I'm going to give you all the real, man, because I've been traumatized behind this situation. And the thing of it is, I don't know if anybody ever lived with fear. I live with it every day. And it ain't the fear of nobody doing nothing to me. It's the fear of me making that same judgment I made when I was 16 years old my grandmother taught me. And they say, if you don't learn from that first time, the second time, put your ass in the ground. Hey. Yeah, that's real. That's real. One thing we didn't talk about was uh, you did graduate prior to that. Congratulations on that. I know we talked before you were getting ready to graduate, but we haven't talked since then. How was that experience to be able to graduate from it was beautiful dave it was beautiful it was beautiful i just didn't have nobody to share with for real and that's the hard part of life when you do 31 years in prison when you're a kid you really don't have nobody but people that you accept into your life so i really didn't get a chance to share that experience with the people i wanted to share with because of other situations but at the same time i enjoyed it i gave a speech and uh they actually love speech and uh, my thing is I'm trying to make, I think I was making up for something I did when I was little. I knew I could have achieved a lot of things if people would have stopped me when I was young, telling me this ain't the way that life goes. Don't be gang banging, don't be doing that. So now I'm at a stage where I can reach my full potential at 50 years old, and I'm going to keep going, and I'm, I'm going to keep going, and I'm going to reach it. And I graduated for uh, all of them was speaking classes, but most of mine was speaking classes. And I attended all SLU University activities. They came to my house, the oldest program. I did everything I needed to do for two flat years. Well, it'll be two years, May the 21st, because I just graduated two weeks ago. But it's the sign to show growth. You know what I'm saying? It's mm -hmm. growth. I didn't grow a lot, man, David, ever since I've been out of prison. But I'm going to tell you something. I got a lot of respect for dudes that have been in prison a long time, and they still stand it. You know what I'm saying? Because prison is what built me. But gave me my morals, gave me my principles. It gave me the things to when I needed to attack somebody, I could just get that feeling and I attack them. It gives you all the weapons in the world to keep your ass down. I didn't realize I was burying myself in prison until I got close to going home. And I had to stand up and stop because, like I say, I was my, wor my worst enemy. I was my own worst enemy. I had a habit of blaming everybody for what I do until I took responsibility for myself. And say, nah, ain't nobody do this to you, nigga, and you steady doing it to yourself. I had to sit back and start taking classes, and I had to understand the difficulties that I suffered with. And it wasn't the fact that I was trying to hurt nobody in prison. It was the fact that I was missing my grandmother. I was missing somebody. There is no replacement. There was no replacement to fill that void that I was missing. You know what I'm saying? I can get on the phone, call her every day, and then she started having dementia. Next thing you know, I called. She said, oh, man, you didn't call me 10 or 15 times. Why you ain't come to the house? She didn't even forget I was in prison. And uh, that's the thing that tears me up and make me tear up, even when I was down at the NDIA, because the part of my grandmama I got to talk to and see, I didn't know her. She was already gone mentally. And uh, I feel I owe her that respect, man. So I'm going to get it together. So how do you 
just listening to what you said in terms of the morals and principles that she gave you going in, how do you counter that with the morals that you end up picking up when you went in there? You you became a totally different person. You acted more out of hatred. And I remember one of the things that impacted me that you said that is about your 15th, 16th year in prison that you finally realized like, man, I'm digging my own grave. I could be in here educating myself and making myself a better person. And then once that light came on, that's when you started to evolve. And that's what got you to your graduation two weeks ago. Yeah, that's what it was, David. For people who don't know, anybody that does over 30 years in prison, probably even 20 years, by the time you reach your 15 year in prison, your mind finna tell you something. Either you finna keep living in prison life or you can educate yourself. That's when convicts come to the understanding. And that's between 30 years. If you do 15 years and everything rushing towards you, I had to take a stand and say, man, listen, what I want for myself, I want for everybody else. That's just peace and education. But I live by example. I started going to school, got my GED. I started taking classes, started doing speaking classes. I held a speaking class for 15 years in the Department of Corrections. We're doing Q&A with the lawyers, attorneys, and things of this nature. And they actually taught me and groomed me how to speak. They actually taught me to look at people and tell if this person even worked arguing with. Because if they not worked arguing with, just going about your business because you ain't finna do nothing but make it even worse. And, I, man, I love everybody, man. Oh, anybody I ever disrespected, man, since I've been out of prison, I apologize. Because you got to understand something. I got my own enemies, my own demons. You know what I'm saying? But one thing I can say, I'm loyal to the T. If I'm with you, I'm with you. But if I'm against <laughs> you, I'm going to flip you. You know what I'm saying? The thing of it is, I love people, David. I love society. I love these brothers and sisters out here, man. I love them. And, they, and when they see me, they come and hug me and break me because they got I got a present of a man. They know that's a real man now. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, but what hunts me about society, man, and the things that I see, it's crazy, David. It's like there is no morals no more. People don't even have respect for themselves no more. Uh, it's all about what you can give them. It's all about money. It's all about what can you provide. If you can't provide nothing, then you're not worth nothing to nobody. And I learned one thing in life. I overcame a lot of that stuff. I don't care nothing about money. David, I told you, once we start blah, 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 I was going to look out for certain people. I don't care nothing about money. Money don't move me. Right. Until I die, I'm going to continue to search for the woman, man, that's loyal. And I know some out here, all of them ain't ruined. All of them ain't ruined. And I know some out here, it's just that when it's that right time for me to meet them, I'll meet them. You know, sad until then. I'm all about the podcast and my speakings, man. That relationship shit ain't for me. I was going to say you're married to the podcast and married to the process. There you go. Yes, sir.